0: Amen. I, I love it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pastoral Thoughts Podcast. This is Jack Young, your host. And today we have Brother John Jenkins Amen. in studio, and he's preaching revival for us. And we're so excited about that. Thankfully, he could take time out of his busy schedule to be with us. It's a thrill, preacher. It's a thrill. And um, so
1: thanks for being here. Thanks for being on, Brother Jenkins. Preacher, it is an honor to be here. I have watched this podcast many times and I'm uh, glad to finally get hey, to be a participant. Uh, yeah, Hopefully the radio won't tank now that you've got me uh, here. So. Well, yeah. Well, all the
0: people that uh lo- love people. you. Well, it's you know, your name's John Jenkins, so yes, you either sir. have to Pucker or Duck, you know, that's what my dad says when Yes, sir his uh, name. That's that's yeah.
1: there's probably truth to that. Amen. I wish it weren't, but it's true probably. Yeah.
0: No, I, I really appreciate you and uh you're a very, very interesting guy. I mean not only a great preacher, but also just... Uh, we are talking a little bit before the podcast here through the... And I thought, man, that's good, good stuff.
1: Hey, you like Civil War history. Yes, sir.
0: What do you like about Civil War history?
1: Well, of course, I like a lot about it. But, the uh, of course, Civil War history was a... You know, the revisionists who have rewritten history have given it a slightly different meaning than it truly had. Mm-hmm. But, of course... You know, irregardless of what anybody's opinion is, the great outcome of the Civil War was the end of slavery, mm-hmm. first of all, and then secondly, the preservation of, of our Union. But the, you know, the average soldier who fought in the Civil War, both Union and Confederate, you know, they weren't slaveholders. They weren't, you know, the uh, beholden to the industry of the North. They were just American citizens mm-hmm. fighting for states. That's right. what I probably love the most. You know, every unit that went to war in the Civil War fought under a state flag. My, I actually have a, my, I got to count because I get the greats wrong. I have a great 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 grandfather on my great 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 grandmother's side. Her dad, uh, George Hewlett was his name, who fought in the Battle of Mucker Hill. Okay. His daughter's name was Electable. Hewlett, and she married John Jenkins. Not my. I'm a Jonathan. He was a John, who was my great 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 grandfather, and so I have a ancestor that fought in the Revolutionary War. And then, wow. the uh, his son, uh, he had a son named Zephaniah, mm-hmm. who was my great 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 grandfather's um, uh, father, and. His son's name was Anderson Jenkins. Okay. Anderson Jenkins fought in the 119th uh, volunteer regiment from the state of Indiana, from the town of today, what is Rensselaer, Indiana, Mm -hmm. Park County, Indiana. So by God's grace, I had a great grandfather fight in the Revolutionary War and one in the uh, Civil War. My grandfather, uh, Anderson Jenkins, who fought in the Civil War, the uh, it's quite a fascinating story they his father Truman Jenkins was from the state of Vermont they in the 1830s migrated probably through the Erie Canal I would suspect uh, to the state of Indiana and there were farmers there it, it we're actually in a county called Montgomery County and they ended up in uh, Rensselaer area the little actually a little bird called Parr Indiana but the um, you know when he went to war in the 1860s he was a teenager. He was 18 years of age, and uh, a local uh, man, a businessman by the name of Gilroy, you know, rallied a bunch of local boys, and they formed the Indiana 119th and uh, several other towns, and they went to war to represent the state of Indiana, really not the Union, the state of Indiana, fighting for the Union. Lincoln reached out to every state and called them. Uh, the we don't even think about that today. States' rights have been so blended in our in sure. our sure. Uh, today's culture one of the cool things preacher the uh, one of the great great um uh stands that took place at the battle of Gettysburg was a result of the uh, uh several units from Michigan and one of Lincoln's great quotes and I was of course from Michigan so this still is tender to my heart one of the great quotes uh, Lincoln wrote a letter to uh the uh, Governor Blair, the wartime governor of Michigan, and uh, his letter was just these words, thank God for Michigan. Mm. And, uh, you know, because of the bravery and the sacrifice Mm -hmm. of some of the regiments of Michigan in the Battle of Gettysburg. So whenever you go and, you know, you and I have watched in the woke world we live in, uh, Civil War monuments being taken down all over the country, and I'm I'm so sympathetic to that from the slavery standpoint sure you know, we all know slavery was a scourge right. and it uh, was no yeah. doubt in the uh, that century was the, the sin of our nation yeah
0: but it, and unfortunately those men were men of their times a- Absolutely. and you have to absolutely. Look at, you have to look at uh, history through the paradigm or the lens by which these men were looking absolutely for. Um, I do this I, th- I think of the same thing with some of the reformers. Like, you know, give Martin Luther a break or John Knox a break. They had never seen religious liberty in their They'd life. they have never seen it. They'd and neither of these guys, you know, uh, Robert E. Lee, I'm a Virginian first. Absolutely. Uh, very godly man. Uh, and then also... Um,
1: um,
0: Stonewall Jackson, very godly man. Well, And, and it's unfortunate. The, their names are dirt now.
1: Uh, and let me throw that in there, preacher. Stonewall, of course, was a Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. So he would have been. The old Presbyterian uh, yeah, fool. Yeah, he was He was a Calvinist. I mean, yeah. he'd, he'd have been a five-point Calvinist. And yeah, but that, we, that's why he was such a great that's fighter. That's why he was a great fighter, yeah. because he believed that if it is my day to die, hmm nothing that I can do can prevent it. And if it's my day not to die, no weapon that's formed against me can prosper. So that's why he stood there like a stone wall, fearless in battle. Most people don't know about Robert E. Lee preacher. His, he was an Anglican, Mm -hmm. what we would call today, the church of England or the, uh, the Episcopal church. Mm -hmm. And um, the last official act of Robert E. Lee's life, he was the president of Washington university. It would become Washington Lee university there in Lexington, Virginia, where he died Last five years of his life, of course, he was a college president, and uh, the last official act of his life, he wasn't feeling well, and uh, it was the annual board meeting for his church, and uh, his wife told him, you shouldn't go tonight, they don't need you there, and he Mm -hmm. said, it's my duty, Mm -hmm. I'm a board member at the church, and so he went, and the policy of the church at that time where he attended was at the end of the year, if the budget was not sufficient to pay the pastor's salary. The board members would personally ante up and okay. cover the preacher's salary. So the last official act of Robert E. Lee's life is he voted to make sure his preacher got paid. Oh, wow. And that night he had his stroke, and within 24 hours he would be in eternity. Arlington National
0: seminary, Cemetery. Not seminary. Yeah. Cemetery. Is his, his home, is his, his land. confiscated <laughs> land? Yeah, yeah.
1: He, Arlington was actually his wife's family's plantation.
0: So, who are some of your favorite players in the Civil War?
1: Well, uh, several, of course. Robert E. Lee is a great one. Uh, the uh, I don't, you know, any of the racism and the and the uh, revisionist history, like you just illustrated, is so unfortunate because the problem of wokeism uh, that we're living in today is. Uh, first of all, nobody can get right with God. Nobody can repent. Nobody can have a second chance. Nothing I do is my fault. Yeah, either. yeah. And, and if and if you've made a mistake, you've done something you shouldn't have done, or you were wrong on an issue, you're destroyed. You know, mm-hmm. there's no redemption. But Robert E. Lee, as you said, fought for his country, the uh, and fought for his state mm-hmm. first. And you know, Robert E. Lee was was asked by the uh, the Congress to be the commanding general of the Union armies when the war began. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this was a man that was you know he was a great fighter in the the mexican American war, and uh, you know Winfield Scott, who was the what we would view as like the chairman of the Joint Chiefs at that time, was you know was a general past his prime, and he, of course the uh, was no match for for life, let alone for the battle that was coming. And um, you know the, those were such different times than we live in yes. today. The, I love his bravery. I love his tenacity. Uh, probably, I have a bunch of uh, Mort Kunstler paintings in my office. I've been a Mort Kunstler fan for many years. Well, he's probably the most realistic uh, Civil War okay. artist. And um, the uh, one of my favorite pictures is, is um, General Lee on, his, on Traveler. His head's down. Uh, the smoke is billowing in the background, and his army is retreating. Yeah. And it's the end of the third day at Gettysburg. And every one of Kuntzer's paintings are very historically accurate. The date on that picture is the third, you know, the third of, of July. And uh, the uh, the name of that painting is It's All My Fault. Mm-hmm. And Robert E. Lee took the full blame mm-hmm. for the defeat at Gettysburg. And uh, I just, there's so many, in in you know, the s- slavery issue and being a, the commanding general of the Confederacy is, of course, Uh, not as easy to defend in the day which we live, but, but, but it was the, it was the bravery. It was the chivalry. It was the, it was the honor of those men, you know, as we've mentioned, Stonewall Jackson was a tremendous human being. And I I
0: even look at, you know, if you're reading world war two and you're
1: reading about, um, you know,
0: somebody, some German commander, whether it's Rommel, I mean, you can learn a lot from Lieutenant Rommel. Absolutely. I mean, wherever the, wherever the war front is, you can find Rommel. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Know, and I look at the same these these characters. Is that uh, you know they, they might might had some flawed judgment, but they were men of their time, and they only had a certain worldview that we absolutely. do not have now. And I believe uh, you know a hundred years now, uh, for, you know, people are going to be looking at us saying, "What were they
1: thinking?" In <laughs> preacher, let me let me throw this in one of the problems that we have in our modern day is we assume everything that's printed is accurate. Right. And you know, you and I grew up in a generation where Lee was lionized Mm -hmm. and Grant was a bumbling idiot. Well, that's not true history either. Now Grant
0: is very popular and he's very studied. I, you
1: know, Grant was a phenomenal general and you know, different cloth, you know, in some ways, Lee was came from a, a, a aristocracy, but Lee's dad, Lightfoot Harry Lee, was you know was bankrupt and mm-hmm. you know basically a risk taker and kept his family and on the verge of poverty all mm-hmm. of his life. The uh, but when it comes to Grant, I mean, he was as common as they come. Yes, I mean, you know, just just a you know a middle American man. His his whole life was a slugfest. It was a slugfest. Probably yeah. the best book and I've read read probably seven or eight biographies of Lee and probably every one there is out there. And I've read uh, several great grant biographies but brett bear the fox news host just okay. wrote a book on grant and okay. I, I, write, I wasn't aware of that okay i'd recommend it okay. to anybody my wife bought it for me for my birthday and i read it in like three days it's I mean, a couple like hundred the, pages probably oh it's probably 400 oh it's plus, four, yeah. okay so yeah it's a big, yeah, book, it's a big a book. book i couldn't put it down i mean it was wow. it was fascinating uh, yeah and w- what i love about it and brett bear was very of course astute to the times he played a very significant role At the end of his presidency, Mm -hmm. in keeping the nation from breaking apart, sure, much like we're facing right now. Yeah, he had a big challenge. He was a peacemaker, and uh, the uh, you know made some financial mistakes, Mm -hmm. and he got accused of being a you know having a scandalous presidency, but. His biggest problem was he had some men that worked in his cabinet yeah. that were scoundrels. Yeah. And the uh, you know the Reconstruction era was it, terrible. and that's usually where I don't know where terrible. they break down
0: American history today, yes, but sir. it used to be like from up to the Civil War and then Reconstruction forward. That's Which how they break was up. American generally history. a disaster. Yeah. You know the carpetbaggers of the North didn't help. So you you have uh, you have any other books that you'd recommend on the Civil War? Uh, you know, did you ever read Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin? F-
1: phenomenal book. Yeah, that's phenomenal my da- that's book. my dad's favorite book. That that book is is so when you think about it, and those of you that are listening that don't know this, when Abraham Lincoln became president, he picked four men to be in his cabinet that were. Ardent adversaries of his in the Republican uh, the uh, election that just happened. Solomon so, Chase so he had a nasty convention like yep, we had, like yep. let's say
0: twenty sixteen Republican exactly. Party convention. Exactly. And so it'd be like Trump bringing Cruz and Rubio
1: and exactly like all the guys on his cabinet. Well, Edwin, he brought Edwin Stanton in. He's who he would make Secretary of War. He brought Solomon Chase, who he would make the. Um, the U.S. Treasurer, head of the Treasury Department. He brought in Montgomery um, Blair, who would be the Postmaster General, and uh, then uh, he brought in Stewart, who would be the Secretary of State. Stewart was the one they thought would be the president. Right. And uh, he was the governor of New York, so he was very popular in the nation. And what Lincoln thought is you and probably. And Stewart know was the most
0: hostile to him at the beginning, right? He,
1: well, I don't know the uh, when Montgomery or not Montgomery Blair when Edwin Stanton Lincoln was just a backcountry lawyer from Illinois, and uh, the uh, uh, um, my mind is blank. The uh, I just said his name. The uh, uh, Edwin Stanton mm-hmm. he was a federal judge in Cincinnati and when lincoln came to a hearing or a, a court case that was involving uh, the uh, where he was needed slightly the uh, the first time that that, that uh, stanton saw him he called him a long-armed baboon mm-hmm. i mean that was the respect that he got mm-hmm. and uh, the uh, there's no doubt that Solomon Chase, of the four, he was the least loyal to Lincoln. Okay. He actually ran against Lincoln mm-hmm. in Lincoln's second election. He's a member of Lincoln's cabinet, and he ran against him. And Abraham Lincoln honored him by nominating him to the Supreme Court. Now, we live in a day where politics is so vicious and so volatile, but Lincoln said this about the four of them. He said they were my adversaries. All four of them were candidates for the presidency. That pre, the, the first election, Lincoln won, but he said in this dire hour in our nation's history, I can but afford the strongest minds. Mm-hmm. So he said I prize competence above loyalty. Yeah, and uh, you know we don't live in a day and age politically that that's oh, even oh, comprehensible. No. But you know Abraham Lincoln really. To to his day, if you studied Lincoln, he is in one of my favorite figures.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So
1: so so, uh, so much wit, so much. You know, every time that he'd get asked a tough question, he'd tell a story. And, and say, it was oh, almost oh, like oh, Jesus. Open, yeah, it he'd was open, like a parable. Open, open up every
0: cabinet meeting with with some sort of colloquial story, and it had a lot of levity in it. Totally. And um, he would use the tool of humor very often.
1: Preacher, I don't yeah. know if you've ever heard this story. One of the cool stories about Lincoln is what, it's sort of a morbid story, but the night he was, his life was taken at Ford's Theater when he was shot, of course, they took his body across the street uh, to the boarding house, and that would be where his life would, would end early the next morning. The one of the famous pictures is the death scene, and Edwin Stanton is standing at the head of his bed, which you have probably read about now, it. Now he belongs to the ages. now he belongs to the ages. Well, after that night, there's it's sort of a interesting field of study. There's been a lot written about the things they found in Lincoln's pockets. The uh, for one, they they found a. Um, some Confederate money in his pocket, which that's been a source of a lot of speculation. I suspect it was just fascinating Token. to him, and he yeah. kept it. But to me, the most fascinating thing they found in there was a hanky with, an, with a red A written on it for, for Abe Lincoln. The, uh, and I'm sorry, it was red L. It was for Lincoln. It wasn't an A. The, uh, but the most fascinating thing to me is inside of his wallet, there were seven or eight newspaper clippings. They were all folded. You could tell by, the, by how worn they were. They'd been opened and looked at many, many times. And the common denominator of all those newspaper clippings was each one was a newspaper article that said something kind about Abraham Lincoln. Mm. So here we have a man, humanly speaking, who basically held our nation together in mm. no doubt its darkest hour. Yeah. And even he needed to be encouraged. yes. And you you uh, you spoke to us just
0: earlier. We had lunch, and then you spoke about uh, there's a door of effectual open, but there are many adversaries. Yes, sir. And Abraham Lincoln was born into adversity, unbelievable, and just a backwoods poor poor upbringing, and self-educated. I think he had like five yes, or sir. six books in his house yes, that sir. he read continually, and then um, you know failed in, in every pretty much everything he did. Yeah, until and he became pretty president. Pretty good, pretty good lawyer, but failed in politics again and again to get elected, and then finally in his forties, somehow he gets the presidency. And um, a man born out of due season, no doubt about it. Yeah, He's, he, he, he he humanly speaking, very de- depressant very personality. Like so. He said at one point, in the, there was times in his life where all of his uh, relatives would hide any sharp objects and, you know, basically put him in a padded room because yep. he was so down. Uh, and he said he would have killed himself, but no one would have remembered who he was. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that. <laughs> and um, and then he didn't, you know, Mary Todd. Yeah, he married he, he, a very messed up lady. And they say one thing about Mary Todd is that she hit her head. She, um, at one point, there's some sort of wagon ride. I'm sure you've heard about this. She yes. was thrown from the carriage and hit her head very hard on a rock. Yes. And a lot of historians speculate that it
1: really messed her up from that point forward. Let me interject something else, Preacher, that, you know, I've heard Mary, you know, very negative press about her in most history books. And granted, she seemed like she was quite a work of art, quite quite a unique personality, but she also suffered something. And I wish I didn't know what this was like. But, of course, they mm-hmm. lost a son mm-hmm. in the White House. And the uh, anyone who's lost a child, my wife and I, of course, two years ago, buried our son. The uh, There is no way to explain it to anyone. And I, I love people's efforts to show compassion. It's always appreciated. Yeah. yeah. But the, it's a fraternity you never want to yeah. join. And it's a fraternity that once you join it, you, you have an understanding that's only those in that fraternity understand. Mm-hmm. So when I think of Mary Todd, I mean, her husband's a president during the Civil War. She, of course, was, you know, born into some degree of prominence in, there in Springfield. And to know, as you said, she had a husband that battled with a lot of depression. Mm-hmm. And uh, to know how brutal the press treated him. The uh, This was a lady who really spent her entire adult life defending her husband and you know I don't want to over saint uh Lincoln here or eulogize him but truly uh other than Washington maybe Jefferson uh, he would have to be in the top 3 of the greatest oh, american absolutely. presidents that yeah, ever absolutely absolutely agreed and truly one of the great figures in all of human yeah. history and so you know one of our great flaws as human beings is we tend to only want people's assets but we are not willing to accept their liabilities and i don't believe anything's a mistake i'm not a a five-point calvinist but i absolutely believe in the sovereignty of god and god sovereignly put abraham and mary todd in the in the white house when he did and uh, you and i would be from different countries today Mm -hmm. Uh, from north carolina i'd be from another country if it weren't for other factors but certainly that Man who was the president amazing. of the United States, so I, I look at people,
0: preacher, it, 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 and it's just amazing. Again, the the, the sovereign hand of God. Um, if you didn't have Mary Todd Lincoln, I don't think you would have had Abraham Lincoln. They said if Abraham Lincoln would have enjoyed marital she bliss, him. she pushed him. Yeah, <laughs> if if he would have had marital bliss and domestic tranquility, he would not have been president of the United States. I, I think that's true.
1: Yeah, you know it's it is so. None of us like wounds. None of us like pain, none of us like valleys that have been thrust in our life, especially the ones that have been caused by other people. Mm -hmm. But if you don't trust God, you're going to go crazy. Mm -hmm. And when I look at what happened, you know, let me give a little, little theology here, preacher, that'll put this in perspective for all of us. All of us are broken people. Mm -hmm. Brokenness is in all of our lives. Mm -hmm. Our brokenness stems from really three areas. First of all, we are broken because of our wickedness. The Bible says our heart's deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We all are broken because of our innate wickedness we inherited from Adam. But we are also broken because of our weaknesses. And there's a real crucial, crucial, uh, the uh, uh, understanding that needs to take place between the areas in my life where I am wicked and the areas in my life where I am weak. Oftentimes we, we think, the other's the other. You know, right. we think we're weak when really it's wickedness, or we right. think we're wicked when really it's weakness. I'll give sure. you an example. Think about Esau and Jacob. Mm-hmm. When we think about Jacob, he, of course, you know, is a trickster. He's a supplanter. He's a he's, used he's, car salesman. Yeah, yeah, he's a used car salesman. The, uh, none of us would have wanted him as our friend. <laughs> but he ends up becoming the father of the nation of Israel. God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. He's now a prince with God. He's prevailed. His brother Esau is, there's no indication any time in his life that he ever had an experience with God. And yet Esau's a good guy. Yeah. I say it this way. He's a man's man. I mean, you want to hang out with Esau, go on a hunting trip with him. And think about this preacher. When Joseph is returning from Padanaram in his 21 years with his uncle Laban, he is thinking that his brother's going to kill him. Yeah. And when he sees his brother, and we all know the story, his brother forgives him. Yeah. His brother forgives him. And rather than it being an army that came to destroy him, they escorted him back home.
0: Yeah, comping him.
1: So I always say it this way. Esau was a good man, but he wasn't a God man. Oh, man after the flesh. And Jacob was a God man. But he wasn't a good man. Oh,
0: and and I, you know, I just got done reading uh, once again through David' life of David. Yes, sir. And there's just one thing about David that he had right. I mean, he made a lot of poor choices he in sure his did. life, but he, he sure loved the Lord with all of his heart. And he every did. time he erred, uh, he would get. He his was heart a good right. repenter. Yes, he was a good yeah. repenter.
1: Well, when when you think about Jacob and you think about Esau, the uh, when. Esau comes in, he's been out in the field hunting and he's hungry. Mm-hmm. That represents weakness. And his brother, who should have been a blessing to his brother, wants to make a deal. And it's because Jacob, in that point, represents wickedness. Mm-hmm. The reason parents don't like their kids to hang around wicked people is because wickedness always takes advantage of weakness. Mm-hmm. So I need to be aware of those areas of my life where I'm wicked, but I also need to be cognizant of the areas where my problem is just a weakness in my life. So our wounding, our, our, our brokenness stems from our wickedness. It stems from our weaknesses. And then ultimately, preacher, it stems from our woundedness. Right. Now, there's a fourth element to our brokenness, and it's spiritual warfare. And what Satan does, he attacks us in all three of those areas. Sure. Where I'm wicked, where I'm weak, and where I've been wounded. Sure. And when I look at all of that, I don't want any of that to be true of my life. But all of that played a role in forming who I am today. Right. God allowed my weaknesses. He allowed the family I grew up in. He allowed even the pain that I went through in my life. Yeah. And I can either be bitter about that or I can, with God's help, become a better person. Your greatest
0: strength is where your deepest wound is at.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I believe this preacher, I believe we're supposed to take where we were hurt the most and turn it into our weapon yeah, absolutely. to fight the powers of darkness.
0: Yeah, and that's and that was really our gymnasium. That was where we were tested. Profile that's where we were there. tried and that's where uh, we will derive strength from. And really a lot of a lot of areas in our life where we think we're strong, that's actually our weakness.
1: And would Paul say, when I'm weak, that's when and am strong. I strong? Yeah. You know, God makes up for those areas where we've been hurt, where we've been taken advantage of, where we've been wounded. Yeah. You know, all of us have been wounded, preacher. We've been lied to. We've been lied about. We've had people take advantage of us. Some have had people do wicked sinful things to them. none of which is okay, none of which is justifiable, but that either stops my life or with God's help, I use that to give my life purpose. Uh, we had lunch Sunday with uh, Brother Fry and then um,
0: and Mrs. Simpson, and she's a she's a widow of a, a pastor's widow, and um, she's talking about one of her sons at a Christian school. One of the of the teachers there hit him in the head with a, a plastic bat. It's just like the guy was a bully. Sure, sure. And so it's telling Dad, you know, you know, he's supposed to be a Christian, you know, hit me in the head with a bat. And he said, well, just listen. He said, Jesus didn't hit you in the head with a bat, Mister So and So did. That's profoundly <laughs> said. And profoundly said. And so, you know, if you're a victim of somebody else's sin,
1: you know. um, I've always said this, preacher. If people, how often have we heard people say that, you know, I'm mad at God? Mm -hmm. What often happens is we blame God for what people do. Mm -hmm. If you know God, you're not mad at God. Yeah. The only people who are mad at God are people who don't know how good he is. Sure. But we blame people Because, you know, we've all heard preached, you know, everything in my life that's happened is passed over, you know, the desk of God for his approval. That in a sense may be true, but it's not true in the practical sense. Many of us have had people sin against us, do wicked things. God didn't authorize that. The uh, sin authorized that, you know, sin, the uh, God gets blamed a lot of times for things that he has nothing to do with. Yeah, you know. Since the Garden of Eden, man chose to open the door to the powers of darkness. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what happens in this world is a result of sin. Right. And what God's role in it all is, is he's got the grace and the strength right. to help us overcome it.
0: Amen. Hey, so when you're reading these thick biographies, you know. Yes, sir. These four, 800-page uh, biographies,
1: what, is, what, is it, what do you think that does for you? Well, I'm, I am I like to read, and part of the reason I think, Preacher, that I've been able to read, I made a decision many, many years ago in traveling and preaching that I wasn't going to watch TV when I was in motel rooms.
0: That's and
1: uh, I don't think it's a sin for right. someone to she watch she TV in a motel room, a great, but practice. it's a waste of time. Yeah, it's yeah, a waste of the time. time. Yeah. I've got a lot of books read and even a few written because mm-hmm. I've lived by that principle for yeah. many years the uh, we've all heard the the little cliche that leaders are readers mm-hmm. if you and i don't stay fresh we don't have anything interesting right. to say right so i i love to read i heard
0: this saying all the people that you look up up to all of the people that you look up to are um not all leaders are are uh how does it go not all readers leaders are leaders are 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 not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. And the difference yes, between you look difference between the people you look up to and the people that you don't is the people that you look up to are readers. Yes, sir. And that is a common element. Yes, sir. Among leaders, yes, yes, sir.
1: Well. I am always trying, preacher, to increase my knowledge. Mm-hmm. And not just, you know, knowledge can and so puff so you, you
0: do the deep dive into Civil War history. Some preacher might be thinking, like, why am I not studying the Bible? Or why am I not reading a book of theology? Or why am I not reading, you know, Toes or Spurgeon or whatever else? Um, um, I mean, I know what it does for me yes, reading history. What would you say that, that it does for you when you're reading history? It helps me
1: understand people.
0: That's exactly, and then also I think what it helps for me to do is get out of myself and realize that whatever, um, whatever time frame in human history where people are well at, said. they 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 um, uh, had the same struggles, same battles. Uh, the world was always falling apart. Yes, sir. And yes, sir. Um, people, you know, the same commonalities. There's great heroes, there's great villains,
1: and all common people in between. It, preacher, I've made up my mind. I, I, w- I wish I had heard more preaching about this as a younger Christian. But so many of us judge and criticize and marginalize people that we just don't know. And, you know, most of us, if we got to know the people we don't like, yeah. we'd be, we we may still may never like them, but we'd be disarmed. Right. We, we'd have some compassion for them. I think reading has caused that. Mm-hmm. I, I think my worldview has caused that. I look at people that don't even agree with me right. and think, you know what? The uh, They're a human being. Right. They have a heart. They may not agree with me, and I'm not going to compromise and, yeah. and back up on what I believe, but I want to be compassionate. I want to have Christ-likeness in uh, me.
0: They're, they're, uh, I have to give you a copy. I think I have an extra copy, but it's um, – it's, uh, Jefferson's his last name, but it's the pastor, is shepherd, and it's a a classic. Uh, It was written about 120 years ago. Uh, But one of the things that the man says in there, uh, Jefferson, he's a pastor in New York City, he says that men can be demons from a distance, he says, but up close— Uh, They're human beings. absolutely, And I think that's true. And I think that's sad about our day and age. Like, you know, you get on Twitter and it's like one of the nastiest places in the universe. It's ridiculous. And you would say something to somebody that if you were talking to them face to face, you would never say that in a million years. You'd never say it. And and someone you can't stand, if you got up close to them and talked to them face to face, you'd realize
1: they're not not, terrible. They're not not the devil incarnate. And and preacher, where is, if I'm Christ-like, and that means I have a redeeming quality about me. Yeah, Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Mm-hmm. So even people that I disagree with, even people who have hurt me, even people who I may view them as an adversary, where if there's Christ in me, I want to see those people get right. I want to see those people have a second chance. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, let me give you a quick story, preacher. I was preaching years ago in Canada. And a preacher friend of mine, the uh, a great uh, a national pastor there in Canada, the, uh, and I were talking after a morning service, and he asked me, or I asked him because we were up in his neck of the woods, we were in the uh, Alberta, Canada, and I asked him, I said, Preacher, have you ever heard, do you know anything about a Bible college the uh, called Prairie Bible Institute? And, uh, boy, his attention shot up, and he goes, Do I know about it, Brother Jenkins? I'm a graduate of Prairie Bible Institute. And I said, Tell me about it. I've heard about it, but I don't know a lot about it. He said, Well, this was his words. He said, In the 1970s, 1980s, it was the Tennessee Temple of Canada. He said, In its biggest years, I think he said 1,500 to 2,000 students wow. were, were, mem- were students there. And uh, he told me some of the details, but he said, the, without exception, the most profound influence on his life, he said, other than Jesus Christ, was a man by the name of Dr. Maxwell. Dr. Maxwell was the president for many, many years of Prairie Bible Institute. And he looked at me and he said, Brother Jenkins, have you ever read Dr. Maxwell's book, Born Crucified? Well, I'd be honestly a preacher, as much of a reader as I am, I'd never even heard mm-hmm. of the title. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'll be honest with you, preacher. I don't don't believe I've ever ever even seen that book. And he said, you need to get a copy. And uh, I got a copy. It's uh, by the way, those of you that are watching, it's published by Moody Publishing. I don't know if it's still even in print, but I it's have, not, I
0: have a copy. I think you, you it's not get hard it. to find. Yeah. It,
1: the I think you can get it seven eight bucks uh, tops. Go, to, I, go I, to eBay, man. Exactly. Right yeah. I remember preacher getting that book. And sitting down, and I'll be honest with you, I wasn't really expecting a lot. I didn't think it would be bad because it was recommended by someone I had great respect for. But within about two chapters, I was literally dumbfounded at seeing how Dr. Maxwell explained what it means to live the Christian life. And apparently you've read the book. I can see it in your cabinets. I think next to the Bible, it may be one of the most needed books to ever be read by a child of God. What Dr. Maxwell teaches in that book is, is that we do not live the Christian life. I don't try harder. I don't, you know, you know I'm just going to get a hold of this and win mm-hmm. the victory. The secret of the Christian life is not trying harder. The secret of the Christian life is surrender. God doesn't want us to try harder. Matter of fact, Mm -hmm. the harder we try, the worse usually Mm -hmm. it gets. What he wants me to do is completely submit my life to Christ, realize that when Jesus died on the cross, I died with him. Colossians chapter 3. I'm crucified with, or, or Galatians 2, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. G- G- Colossians chapter 3 says, ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. So when Jesus died on the cross, I died with him. So I'm not supposed to try to live for God. I'm supposed to live crucified. I'm supposed to yield myself to Christ every single day, live, abide in Christ, living a crucified life, and allow Jesus to live through me. Right. Being a good Christian is Him living through me. It's sort of like putting a glove on my hand. If this hand is God and my uh, glove over this hand is my life, when God touches someone, He's using me. Right. I mean, that was such a a different concept, yeah. Because you know, I'd always, you know, do, how often have we heard a sermon on, you know, if you don't do this, you ain't right with God, and it, it, it's motivational. Do, 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 do. It's
0: motivational preaching, and I didn't get saved until I was twenty-two. But um, you know, before I got saved, I was involved in campaigns and sewing yes, and fill up yes, the sir. buses, and you know, I I was excited about that in the flesh, and I wasn't even saved. That's not my way to help. Absolutely, yeah. You know, preacher, get up there, and we've we've had uh, in our history some great. Motivational speakers. We sure have. I mean, we've had some Tony Robbins. Man, you after you get you hear him preach, you're ready to walk out on hot coals. Yes, sir. <laughs> you know, go stormhouse like you've gonna...
1: been to an Amway con- convention. <laughs> exactly. Amen. Exactly. Exactly. Well, preacher, what ha- what happened? I think. Tell me if this was right. I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm really not. I'm just describing my own journey. When Jesus gave what we call the Beatitudes there on the Sermon on the Mount. All those blessed verses. The uh, we are not called human doings; we're called human beings. Yeah. It is more important who you are becoming than it is what you're doing.
0: Right, and I, I think as men too, we really identify our own self worth with um what we do oh performance absolutely time absolutely you know i'm the pastor of such and such a church we run about this and we do that
1: and i got a podcast and this and and absolutely. that's me that's well, me well, and it's really not that is not me. preacher what we do is we get our identity from our performance mm-hmm. and if there's any verse in the bible that ought to just floor all of us colossians says when christ who is our life shall appear my life is not supposed to be my family. It's not supposed to be my ministry. My life is supposed to be Christ. And if Jesus is living through me today, if he is my life, God's going to use my life to touch other people. Yeah, And I can't take any credit for it. I can't get any applause. No. It is Christ living through me and, uh, and, and it's all about, it's all about his glory. I mean, it's all about his glory right. as we preached last and night. So we, it's we, about we, reflecting we, him
0: we glory in him and, gl- and glorifying God is as you reflecting him. absolutely. Yeah. And so I, I'm not supposed to, um, be excited or hold my value in self so self-esteem up uh, is absolutely. what i what I've done or what I've been able to do. It's not what Christ has done. Absolutely. And glory And nothing else, you know, save the cross.
1: He is, uh, the uh, dear friend of mine, he's in heaven now. Uh, he was actually saved in one of our camp meetings years ago. Uh, Evangelist's son, his dad's in heaven now too, Evangelist Roger Henson. His son, Micah Henson, the Henson family traveled and sang all over uh, the, uh, the country for many years. Micah wrote a song, and uh, boy, I tell you, uh, precious, precious story. Micah went home to be the Lord in his 30s after a battle with cancer. But he wrote a song called Ain't Nothing Better Than Jesus. Mm. And a little bad English, but boy, it's good theology. Mm. Ain't nothing better than Jesus. Best thing that ever happened to me was when I met the Lord, when he found me. And my whole purpose in life is to simply point other people to Jesus Christ. And I do that most effectively when I'm surrendered, yielded, abiding in Christ, letting Christ live through me. Right. The living, the crucified life, as simply as Romans 6 says, is reckoning yourselves to be dead indeed unto Mm -hmm. sin, but alive unto God. Mm -hmm. If I understand I was crucified with Christ when he died on the cross, I also was raised to walk in newness of life when he rose from the dead. Yes, And it's a different way of living, but it's the victorious life. Yeah, absolutely. And we get little
0: glimpses. You know, Lord helps us uh, be crucified along the way. Yes, sir. Um, But ultimately you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be pastoring forever. I mean, there's oh going to come sir. a time where I'm not physically capable and I'm yes going to lo- lose that. Yes uh, you know, I think about, uh, I think about our, our friend RB right now he got throat cancer and yes I, I, I don't know what, um, but I'm thinking, man, he's been preaching all over the world, like since his 20 years for many years. And, he's uh, you man. imagine, yeah. Oh man. And so imagine that being taken away from him and he has to sit there and, you know, um, But the the whole thing is, if his identity was wrapped up in preaching, man, he'd be a sad guy. Exactly. If his identity's wrapped up in Christ, I think, well.
1: Absolutely.
0: I still got the Lord Jesus Christ, you know. You know, we
1: say it tritefully, but do others see Christ in me? Mm -hmm. And, again, I've got to ask myself every day, am I yielded? Am I living the crucified life? Am I reckoning myself to be dead indeed unto sin? Not just not yielding to temptation, but available to the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, can God use me? A uh, quick story, preacher, I was scheduled to preach a few years back in a uh, uh, the uh, tent meeting in West Virginia, and I went to the airport. It was a Monday morning. I was the, the speaker that night. There was just going to be one preacher. I was the scheduled speaker to open the conference, the tent meeting, and I got to the airport there, Northern Michigan, where I travel out of every just about every Monday. And uh, literally, as I'm checking in, the, the lady at the gate or at the counter is looking things over, and I can tell there's a problem. And finally, she says, "Pastor, we've had s- some cancellations." She says, "We can't get you to your destination today." I go, "I'm like, no, no, no. Understand? I, I've mm-hmm. got it's you know six thirty in the morning. Mm-hmm. I've got to be in." West Virginia preaching night, some way, somehow I got to be there. And she said, (laughs) Pastor, I'm telling you, there is no way to get you there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wish I could tell you what a great Christian I am, but I was not a happy camper. She tried to, we looked at other flights and other airlines, and there was no way to get me there. You probably prayed that morning. God, God, I'm trusting you with this meeting, and I put this in your hands and yada, yada. All of the above. Right. Well, what happens is she finally gets me on a flight, and says, I don't know how you're going to get from there to where you need to go, but at least it's closer than you are right now. And the whole day was just a travel disaster. I ended up, I was supposed to fly from northern Michigan to Detroit, to Detroit, to Charleston, West Virginia. I was in the airport at 9 p.m. in Cincinnati, Ohio, getting on a flight that was going to get me like at 10.45 into Charleston. The meeting I was supposed to preach at had already been been. Conducted. I mean, just the whole day in my mind was a total disaster, and uh, I probably wasn't a very good Christian. I'm sure more than one person heard me mumbling and groaning <laughs> uh-huh, about uh-huh. Delta Airlines that day. Well, I get on a little CRJ jet from Cincinnati to Charles on a short little hop, and there's a real s- sweet lady sits next to me. I've began to converse with her and found out she was a lawyer. Found out that before she was a lawyer, she was a nurse. And so her, after being a, a nurse, she went into back to law. She went back to school to be a lawyer and she practiced in medical law. Then I find out she's a Presbyterian preacher's wife. And uh, then I ask her some questions about her family and find out that just a few months prior to this, she'd had a child perish. Mm. And, uh, I said something to her like, well, at least one day, you know, you're going to see your child in heaven, assuming because she's a pastor's wife, she knows the Lord. And preacher, she looked at me and she says, I hope I will. I hope I'll see her again one day. And instantly the Holy Spirit, I mean, I'd had a bad attitude the whole day because I wanted Delta airlines to get me to my pre-planned destination to be able to preach that night in that service And the Holy Spirit squeezed my heart and said, this was what your day was for. And I said to her, I said, ma'am, if I could open a Bible, I had my Bible in my briefcase, and I said, if I could open my Bible and show you, you know, there's some verses in the Bible that actually tell you you can know for sure where you'll spend eternity. Would you like to see that? And she said, I'd love to see that. I opened my Bible and showed her how she could know she'd die and go to heaven. And right there on the airplane, little old CRJ, we're, were crammed in a tight, tight uh, regional jet, and uh, had our trays both down. Bible was on the tray, and I asked her if she wanted to receive Christ as her Savior to repent and pray right there and ask the Lord into her heart, and she did. Tears were streaming down her cheeks. I mean, it was a glorious conversion, and she said to me, Brother Jack, she said, "Preacher, I think God had this plan." <laughs> for you to be on this plane just for me today. And, you, and, and, and right all then, the while. Like the Lord rebuked you. With that oh, day. rebuke me. I'm feeling, I should have been rejoicing and I'm I'm smiling at her and I'm thinking, John Jenkins, you're a big idiot. Because I was upset the entire day. But like the Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, God said, I don't have you scheduled to pray. You're, you're on the schedule, but that's not what my schedule is. I'm going to send you to one person. Yeah, who needs to hear the old old story yeah. of grace? That's
0: well, like uh, Philip preaching revival in point. Samaria, yes sir, sent
1: out in the wilderness, yes sir. God yeah. knows, mm-hmm. and uh, when we live yielded to Him, which I apparently wasn't through some of that day, sure. The uh, instead of grumbling our way through life, we're just excited about what God's going to do next. Yeah, is we live yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ.
0: That's interesting. Hey, let me ask you. You have been able to you've been in the ministry for how long now
1: i got called to preach in 1980 and went to bible college and four years later was full-time you went, you went in the to bible college in 1980 in 1980 and, I, in and I, I actually marched in 1985 but i finished college in december of 1984 and entered the ministry at that
0: time and, and uh you've heard uh, john rice preach in yes, person sir. yes sir rg lee you ever hear him preach
1: uh never heard him in person but in person i've in heard person. him many times okay. many times yeah, i know
0: my dad was in college yes, when he, he preached payday someday and
1: but your dad's okay. an old man though. he he's is a lot, he's older, a than lot
0: me. older yeah i think, I think he's I, got
1: me by about 10 years so does he really yeah i'm 60 okay man he's still a young guy thank you for that that
0: kind word, Amen. Well, I think that uh, between sixty and seventy is supposed to be your best decade, right? Because I hope you so. have all the that's wisdom for years, that's my and prayer. Then, uh, you still have the the physical ability to, yes, perform what you have in your head, yes, sir. And so that's my prayer. Well, I'm excited for you, Amen. Yeah, that's great. So you've been you've been able to rub shoulders with some uh, just great great men and women yes, of sir. God, yes, sir. But who are who are some of your mentors? Some some uh, people that have influenced you the most.
1: You know, I I've, as you said, I've met a lot of what we would call great men, famous men, but probably some of the men, preacher, that have influenced me the most are men nobody else knows. Mm-hmm. Of course, um, my hero would be my own father, mm-hmm. Dr. Howard Jenkins, still alive, dad, in March of this year turned 90 and still preaching. Amen. And uh, my mother went home to be with the Lord Last fall, so dad is his, So you're really, you, now. you
0: grew up in the ministry, so really we could say you've been in the ministry for 60 years. My
1: dad, uh, the uh, pastor his first church preacher when he was 19 years of age. Wow. The Child's Bible Church in Onondaga, Michigan. Wasn't even done with Bible college yet. Mm-hmm. So my dad's been preaching since he was 19 and he's 90. Amazing. So uh, he's been in the Lord's work for 71 years. And it was ordained in the 1950s, so it's been 65 or 66 years, something like that, since he was ordained. But my dad pastored the several churches in Michigan when I was a young child. Pastored in the mountains of Kentucky when I was was an elementary age and junior high age. Then my dad came back to Michigan, pastored one church for 25 years, and then for the last 15 years of his life, my dad actually has worked for me. He yeah. w- came and was a part of my ministry there in Michigan. And uh, so dad's been a great example and a great, uh, the uh, maybe not famous in some people's minds, but a tremendous, tremendous influence on my life. The um, Because you had such a, a, a good godly father and a godly yeah, sure. home, uh, do you think that
0: helped you uh, in the ministry not to idolize uh Maybe some very charismatic leaders. Oh, absolutely! People. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely! Yeah.
1: You know, I went to Bible college and went to a good school. I'm thankful for that. The uh, but I was never sort of caught up in the hype. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't worship men. I didn't view any place in my life as a mecca. Right. The uh, you know I, I was a. Um, You know, by God's grace, my dad never pastored a big church. He was never what we would call uh, famous, and Mm -hmm. that all helped me because, you know, being in a small place never was a problem for me. You know, never, you know, trying to make a name for myself was never a goal of mine. And that probably
0: helped you temper you from the background, having a godly father and a well-balanced father. uh, Absolutely. Because, I mean, you have – you have been a, a famous preacher for a long time. I mean, you're you're preaching all over the country in your 30s. The uh, probably once you hit about 30, you say that you would, about 30 you get, years. Get about a,
1: 30 years, I've been traveling, flung out into the national scene. The uh, I have preached in 47 states, I think. Yeah, and, uh, and I certainly don't think I'm famous, but for whatever reasons I don't understand it all. God opened a lot of doors for me. Yeah. And, well, I, um, yeah, they, I, and I understand what you. Yeah, well, here's the way I look at humble, it. You know, you know, you know,
0: John Jenkins. You know, is my favorite preacher, and then you got uh, people from all over the country. They admire you so much that they're going to move to the UP.
1: Almost to, the a study, <laughs> to study, to yes, study
0: underneath you, at Gaylord, Michigan. Yes, the Lord. And, um, the Lord brought you know, a lot sir, of wonderful people. Uh, yeah, there. so you you have a lot of people that have really um, looked up to you enough to to pack up the bags and move to where you're at and be trained underneath your ministry, uh, and underneath your church there, and so you know probably having that that uh, the temper, uh, the temperament from coming from a godly home, uh, helped helped you from destroying yourself.
1: Well, my dad certainly my dad taught me without knowing he was teaching me probably mm-hmm. that we're all just sinners saved by grace. And it doesn't matter if you're preaching to 50, or if you're preaching to 5,000, the, uh, the glory all belongs to Jesus and do the best you can at whatever you're doing. And just, uh, stay aware. You know, I, I think preacher, the thing that's been, that's killed so many preachers and I, I don't literally mean kill, but I mean, destroyed them. Sure. Is just a lack of authenticity. Sure, you know I, I'm not trying they, to be. They become a caricature of themselves. I'm not trying to be falsely yeah. humble, but preacher, I know what I deserve. I mean, we're all sinners saved by grace, and thank God, I know my position in Christ and that, you know, I'm already seated I, with Christ in the heavilies and I, all of that. I tell you a funny story. One it, time I
0: was talking to Brother Alat, and he said he was talking to you as a conversation, uh, and you were talking about uh, Jay Frank Norris, his drunker father, and uh, amazing stories. Yes, and, yes. Jay Frank Norris. I mean, he he was shot. I think four times, defending his father. He uh, he went to one of the collectors that was collecting monies. You know, yes. They're broke yes. and borrowing money for, for drink and everything. And he pulled out a knife on a guy, and the guy pulled out a gun and shot him like four times. And he spent the whole year recovering. I think he was 16 years old. And that's really where the Lord got a hold of him. He was yes, run, on, on his... Uh, on his uh, um, recovery couch or whatever all laid up and then you got jack hiles who you know his uh his dad and you know uh his his father would come and steal chickens from his mother uh for you know his his dad and his girlfriend you know and he grew up just this heartbreak jerry falwell's dad was a a bootlegger yes sir, and um so you guys were talking you and rb we're talking about this and and brother Let's got a godly uh, preacher dad like yes, sir. <laughs> yourself, yes, sir.
1: and he said, "Well, I guess we're just doomed to be average." It, well, <laughs> you, know? you know, preacher, all of those men—I'd I'd add another man to that list—would be Doctor Clarence Sexton. Oh, sure, Doctor Sexton. Right. Yeah, his his was, father's a bootlegger. Was was, was a raised. gambler. And what all those men have in common is those men were raised by their mothers. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I'm not psychoanalyzing or judging yeah. any of them, but. Those men were so motivated. Yes, and probably a lot of that motivation was because they didn't get the worth that they should have gotten right. from a father. That's right. But what I see in those men is something different. I see that their brokenness was used by the Lord right. to increase their usability right. and their influence. Yeah, and, and and that's that deep heart wound, and their strength absolutely. was their wound. Yeah, and if every one of those men touched all of us. And I think they had the ability to reach down to the heartbroken and the brokenhearted, oh, yeah. because they'd experienced so much. Yeah. Every one of them could radically speak to the heart. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, I, you're right. I mean, you have much the same story that I do mm-hmm. preacher. You were raised right. by a great pastor. And, um, I, I just think in raising children, We need to be real. And by real, I don't mean, you know, a hip, you know, I'm not, I'm be worldly. (laughs) I mean, to be honest, to to be authentic. You know, I'm not perfect. And that this is where I'm struggling. This is where I'm trying to, trying to, you know, improve. That's the kind of dad I grew up with. Very honest conversations, very transparent. One thing my parents did that I'm so thankful for today, preacher, is they, did not allow criticism in our home. The, the I can't even put that in perspective. The we did not talk about people That's in my wonderful. home when I was a child. Yeah, wonderful. And I don't know that I was perfect at it, but my wife and I tried to do the same thing. My my kids did not know when I be when my kids became teenagers and their dad started preaching in a lot of places, they didn't know that some of the people I was preaching for didn't like each other. Yeah. They thought they were both heroes. They sure, thought they sure. were both great men because they never heard me. You,
0: you didn't talk bad about criticism. them. And then you didn't come and sit at the table and talk bad about your church people either. Never. Yeah.
1: Never. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my kids grew up thinking the ministry was the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, because, they and it is because I didn't yeah. air all the dirty laundry. Right. was going on in people's lives you know number one as a pastor to share anything going on in my people's lives would have been breaking confidentiality Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the uh i wanted my children to want to go to church i wanted them to Mm -hmm. be around god's people and when you're critical of god's people in front of your children they're going to choose not to be around those people no and so i was so blessed i mean you know my parents the uh I don't even know if they knew everything they were doing. They just had they just had good common sense, and I I say that with great respect. What I'm saying is, it wasn't they weren't like trying to be experts. They just right. were genuine people. They weren't going to seminars and no, taking notes. Yeah, they were just genuine people. And yeah. so, uh, my sister uh, Pam sent a text to me and my other siblings just this week. The uh, talking about how thankful she was for our dad, mm. and we all responded in a text, you know, that, you know, how thankful we were to be Howard Jenkins's children. And, uh, you know, the, it is, um, I want to live my life in such a way preacher. I can't please everybody. I can't promise that every decision I ever made was perfect, but I want to li- live my life in such a way that there's no regrets.
0: Yeah. You say the number one mentor in your life was be your father would
1: absolutely be my father. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, other preachers, I mean, you know, the uh, brother Hiles had some influence in my life, but you know, I was a student in his college when he was in his prime mm-hmm. and the, uh, you know, all of my relationship with him was at a distance, you know, I didn't sure. get the one-on-one with him. The, um, you know, there's some old preachers. I had an uncle that again, probably not a handful of people on the planet would know his name, a guy named brother Ralph Tingley. He was actually my dad had two brothers and a sister. This would have been his sister's husband. Pastor Tingley pastored for many years in a town in the Thumb area of Michigan called Brown City, and uh, then pastored for uh, probably nearly forty years the Maple Grove Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan. There in the capital city, and uh, my uncle Ralph was one of the most godly men I've ever known. The, uh, a great prayer warrior, went home to be with the Lord just in the last couple of years, lived into his 90s, and uh, the, uh, a tremendous influence in my life, a man that I revered greatly. And, uh, you know, it's it's so crucial. You know, when it came to my dad, when it came to my Uncle Ralph, Pastor Ralph Tingley, these were men that, that um, you know, had lived their lives in such a way they had not lost any credibility in my eyes not perfect human. I knew some of their flaws, but mm-hmm. these men walked with God. They had integrity. And as a result, you know, they they were the, I was mentored by by some men that I will ap, absolutely stand before God one day yeah. and give an account for the quality of men that mm-hmm. God put in my life, you know, unto whom much soever is given, much is required. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful. I got to preach with Dr. Lee Robertson, the uh, i mean you just start naming the great men of god dr tom malone was a personal friend mm-hmm. of mine got to have dr malone several times in my pulpit dr malone i preached in his pulpit the uh, i mean i got to rub shoulders with some pretty great uh, men of god the uh, but the uh, the relationship i had with those men was surface compared to men like my dad men like pastor ralph tingley the uh, you know so much uh, so much, I think, preacher, of our success in the Christian life is connected to being grateful. Yeah. Am and I- when, when you realize what you deserve, we all deserve to be mm-hmm. in hell with our neck broken. Mm-hmm. When you realize what God has done for you and how he has blessed you, you just live your life in such a way that you just live it out of gratitude.
0: And what was shown to you by your father, by your uncle, was... Being happy in the Lord.
1: Absolutely. And just being a Christian was the greatest thing in the world. My dad raised me and my brother. There's four kids in the family, but me and my brother were raised fishermen, deer hunters. Mm -hmm. Uh, My dad pastored for uh, over five years in the mountains of southeastern Kentucky. And dad reached people that no one ever thought anyone would reach. I mean, there was one particular man that... He had run every preacher off of his property that had ever showed up with a shotgun. And my dad showed up in a pair of bib overalls with a shotgun in his hand because dad had been out squirrel hunting, and he had Mm -hmm. a couple squirrels with him. And asked this fellow if he wanted these squirrels. And uh, he became a dear friend of my dad's. My dad led him to Christ. And uh, my dad, in all those years that he passed in Kentucky, and this isn't politically correct in some of our Independent Baptist thinking, but Dad rarely wore a shirt and t- or you know a tie because yes. he pastored in Appalachia. Right, you know d- Dad was was normally in a pair of bib overalls because that's what all the men in the community right. wore, and uh, the uh, you know Dad you know we we. Burn coal uh, the uh, uh, to heat our house, and I mean we'd borrow one of our church members' pickup trucks and go to the Blue Diamond coal mine and get coal to heat our house. Uh, We had a big garden like all the other families in the community, and we were just when we moved to the mountains of Kentucky, we became mountain people. Yeah, and so that's sort of what my dad's been everywhere he's ever been. He is adapted to where he is, and not. Sort of worried about what the brethren think, but just been what God told him He was him just to authentic. Be. He wasn't in he anybody was else's mold. He was yeah. authentic, and yeah. so, you know, my, my dad was always very appropriate in his dress. Always had good standards. But I mean, frequently my dad would not have a, a tie on. Sure, and you know that there's some sure. that think you know you're not a fundamentalist if you don't yeah, have, you have know, a tie on. White shirt and tie, yeah, exactly. And yeah. my dad always dressed appropriate for church. But he was
0: place appropriate too, uh, yeah.
1: Place appropriate. And my dad, preacher, pastored in some small places where he he had to be bivocational. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want, like, when I was was, uh, just a little boy I'm talking preschool my dad drove a school bus and started a church, the Emmanuel Bible Church in East Lansing, Michigan. And uh, the, I remember as a three-year-old kid riding a bus with my dad, that was a big day to get to go to school with dad and he'd drive the bus. I mean, those memories are as precious to me Mm -hmm. as anything I can think of today. My dad just doing the best he could knowing, you know, my my dad, to give an example, preacher, my dad didn't finish Bible college. His pastor, uh, Dr. Dallas Berry died when my dad was a Bible college student and uh, my dad just Finished whatever semester that was in and entered the ministry. Yeah, but what my dad did, like in his f- f- late forties, my dad went back to college through correspondence and got a master's degree, a bachelor's degree, and an earned doctorate degree. You know, you know, character out the, you know, out the out the every orifice of his body. Yeah. and uh, the uh, did that while he was working a secular job, pastoring a church. Wow. So I grew up with a, a father Amazing. that just was a real, you know, he he. He did not, you know. He lived what he preached, and he was a hardworking, honest man. And uh, all of his children. There's four of us. All of us are in church today. Uh-huh. Uh,
0: I, 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 you know, I think that's the number one goal. I think of Noah. You know, Noah to the saving of his family. Like if you're in a labor for 120 years and preach for 120 years and the only, only people you save is your family. Is that worth it? And the answer of course is absolutely. Yes. Sure,
1: this is not said in any criticism in someone that would think I'm being critical. Doesn't know me. Yeah. But we, We've seen the families of some famous preachers.
0: Mm, yeah, it's uh, that's the saddest thing in the world the to The heartbreak. Is that you, the, your kids don't buy what you're selling. The They're heart not going to buy into
1: it. The heartbreak is unimaginable. I don't judge any of those no. men.
0: Yeah, me neither. But I'll but tell
1: you what I do. If that's the price of success, no, I don't want it. No
0: way. I don't want it. No way. And so I would say by every metric in my book, <laughs> your dad was – over the top successful and really um you know he's going to be doing more through his children than he ever did in his ministry and and then now grandchildren so now he's looking at the next generation and then the next generation after that he's got great grandchildren my
1: brother's a preacher my brother-in-law's a preacher i'm a preacher my son john's a preacher my dad's dad was not a preacher he was a he was a farmer he was a godly layman a deacon in his church his brother, two of his brothers were preachers. Their father was a preacher. So my great-grandfather, Jesse Jenkins, was a preacher. Two of his sons were preachers. My dad, two of his brothers were preachers. Two of my brothers, a brother and a brother-in-law, are preachers. My son, John, is a preacher. My son, John, is a fifth-generation Baptist preacher in our family. Somebody back there in our family, <laughs> we're living off of somebody's grace oh, is yeah, all yeah, I got to say. Somebody's
0: blessing. Oh, man. And,
1: you know, I look back on it all and uh, I've been to my great grandfather's grave many, many times. He's buried in Manchester, Michigan. The uh, uh, uh Jesse and his wife, the uh, Jesse died in 1943, was my dad's, my dad's grandfather. He pastored the, uh, this is a precious story. He pastored. For many years and uh, was ordained, I believe it was 1901, that my great-grandfather was ordained. He pastored the 8th Avenue Baptist Church for three years in Terre Haute, Indiana. Terre Haute, Indiana is where my grandmother's from, would be my dad's mom, Gladys Jenkins. Well, the uh, I was doing some family research a few years ago and um, was trying to find out some history of our family, and I actually got a hold of the preacher at the 8th Avenue Baptist Church there in Terre Haute, Indiana. It was actually an uh, American Baptist church at, at the time. And uh, the pastor told me, it's interesting you're reaching out to me. He said, right now we're actually in the process of getting ready for for our church's sesquicentennial and 150-year anniversary. And he said, uh, "The I've seen your grandfather's name on the list of pastors. He said, "Let me let me see if I can find out some more details, and I'll get back with you. About a week later, I got a phone call from this preacher. And he said, Pastor, he says, I think you're going to really like what I've got for you. And I said, Great. He said, I'm sitting right now, and he named the home. It was a nursing home. And he said, There's a lady here. She's a member of our church. She's ninety-one or ninety-two years of age. And he said, Your grandfather was her pastor. Mm -hmm. And again, my grandfather died in the '40s, so nobody in our family, of course, uh, the uh, had heard him preach. The uh, and I got to talk to this lady who described my grandfather's preaching. She knew my grandmother. She was dear friends of my grandmother and uh, knew my grandfather and the, of course, who married my grandmother. And uh, she said to me, Preacher, while we were on the phone that day. I said, describe my great-grandfather's preaching. And she said, Brother, she said he always preached with a tear Mm -hmm. in the corner of his eye. She said he rarely made it through a sermon without crying. And I thought, good Lord, is that, thrilling to hear that he was a man who preached for the broken heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, I could tell from the things she said, he was a very humble man. And again, sort of goes with the lineage of my family that mm-hmm. here was just a genuine, authentic man. Yeah. The uh, two of his sons became preachers. My grandfather, again, not a pastor or a preacher, but a godly layman. And uh, he had four children and three of his children ended up in full-time Christian wow. service. And uh, the, uh, uh, my point is that I don't have anything to brag about. The Lord's just been good to me, Preacher. Yeah, absolutely. You've been given much. He's been good to me. Yeah, that's great. Well, hey, you, Preacher, it's been an honor to be on the man. podcast today. I hope I didn't, was didn't bore your fun. listeners today.
0: Uh, I don't think so at all. Hey, man, appreciate you very much. And, uh, yeah, thanks for your time. It's been my uh, honor. And I'll get you honor. back to the hotel, man. Get you all char- get rested up for it tonight. Sounds good. Looking, Looking forward, forward to it, Preacher. Sounds bless great. You. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening today to the Pastoral Thoughts Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you can, leave us a five-star rating on your podcast app. We'd appreciate that very much. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us by emailing us at pastoralthoughtsmail@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And you can find out more about us at pastorjack.org. God bless you and have a wonderful day.